artists to engage the church and the church to engage artists. My name is Matt Anderson. Thank you so much for joining us today. We encourage you to please follow or subscribe to the podcast. And if you can, give us a five-star rating and review on the platform of your choice. Well, next Monday, with Holy Week embarking, we're going to have an interactive communion episode of this podcast. It's something that I've never really done before, and maybe you haven't experienced. Originally, we were going to do it uh, for today, but I decided to delay that for a week. Uh, But next week, uh, the Monday of Holy Week, we'll be doing um, a communion interaction called Take This Personally. So instead, I've decided to include a message that I preached recently because it it also relates very well to this time of year. It's actually a, a pretty unique sermon for me um, in that it speaks to God's view of justice and why Jesus did what he did with his life and death. It, it's really an aspect of the gospel that we don't talk enough about, I think, but it's a necessary element in our appreciation of salvation. So here now is a message called The Justice of the Cross. We live in a world that constantly cries out for justice, for an evening of the scales, for someone to hear the cries of the oppressed and take up their cause. We also know that Micah 6, 8, and probably for someone in this room, it's a life verse says he has told you O man what is good and what does the lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your god we love justice as long as it doesn't happen to us a few months ago i received a notice in the mail and it informed me that i had violated the laws of Newburgh Heights, Ohio. You see, they have a stationary camera that takes lovely pictures of passing cars. All their roads there are 25 miles per hour. And I was very careful to observe that on this particular day. However, when I came to an intersection on the overpass to turn left onto the interstate, it seems that I did the crazy thing of accelerating to 40 dizzying miles per hour, which according to the law of Newburgh Heights made me a criminal menace. And I was informed that I owed them about $150 for the infraction. I could get as mad as I wanted, but the law was the law was the law. You know, when it comes to the story of our life, no matter how warm and congenial we are, 
No matter how much we have gone to church or given to charity, no matter how much we get mad at God's restrictions, the law is the law is the law. And we have a price to pay because all of us have broken it. The gospel is our lifeblood. And we need to examine the full gospel if we are to truly appreciate it. You know, there's an old story of a beautiful church building that was dedicated decades ago. On the wall of the church was inscribed and engraved a quote from Paul in 1 Corinthians. And it simply read, We preach Christ crucified. Well, over the years, some ivy began to grow on the walls and began to scale them to the point that it covered one of the words, and so eventually it read, We Preach Christ. A decade or so later, the ivy continued to grow until the carving only read, We Preach. And I fear that in a lot of churches today across America, there's a lot of preaching going on but there's not a lot of preaching about Christ and even less about him being crucified. We need the full story of the gospel, including why it was necessary to do this. Today, we will set the scene of a courtroom drama for the trial of you. You have been arrested and captured by your misdeeds, and now you face judgment. You will be put on trial to determine the fate and destiny of the rest of your life. This morning, I ask all of us to put ourselves at the defendant's desk and be reminded of what we are up against. So in our picture of a court this morning, I want to begin first by talking about the judge. The one who presides over this entire affair. Can I tell you a few things about the judge? First, he is perfect in his character. In this case, and every case, of every soul on planet Earth, our judge is perfect in his thoughts and deeds. He is, has been, and always shall be perfect in all he does. Psalm 50 says, Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. He will not be bribed, coerced, blackmailed, or unduly influenced by outside parties. He has no bias. He cannot be bought off. He will neither be swayed by tears nor impressed by accomplishments. He judges rightly because he is right. I also want you to know that this judge uses an objective standard. He uses an objective standard by which to judge fairly. 
It is known as his law. Now, many incorrectly believe about the Bible that the law was somehow some kind of a mistake, some kind of an oops that had to be fixed in the New Testament, that it was something to be ignored or dismissed. But I want you to know they could not be further from the truth because Psalm 19 tells us the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. In our world of sliding scales, moving goalposts, and flexible morality, the judge only has one source of truth by which to judge the nations. It doesn't change. It is inflexible, immovable, unbreakable, and unchangeable. It is called the Word of God. I am on a personal crusade to eliminate the phrase, my truth and your truth from society. I think it is one of the most foolish and ridiculous phrases in the English language. We don't even know what truth is anymore in our society. So truth is now in the eye of the beholder. But folks, by definition, truth just is. You can choose to not believe in the law of gravity, but you are attached to the floor. Well, that's your truth. It may not be my truth, but it's your truth. That is absolute nonsense. That's like saying, boy, according to my thermometer, it was 84 degrees yesterday. Well, <laughs> that's your thermometer. My thermometer said it was 15 degrees. But hey, my thermometer isn't your thermometer, and I'm not going to judge your thermometer. One of them needs to be thrown away. There is an objective standard of truth that doesn't change from person to person. It's called the Word of God. It is the standard by which He judges all things perfectly. Psalm 9 says, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice, and He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. I want to tell you one more thing about the judge. He passes sentence. This is what all judges do. He is not part of some dog and pony show where he looks the part sitting behind the, the big desk and the big throne, but really doesn't do anything. My friend, there is no jury. This is a bench trial. He will have the final say and then divvy out the appropriate sentence, acting upon the evidence that has been presented. I think in the church we've made a grievous error over the, next, over the last few years. And I, I know why we're doing it. We don't want to sound like God is the big meanie up there. And I probably said it too over the years from a pulpit. God doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves to hell. 
Now I get that. Our lives may have conveyed a lack of love for the Father, and so in a sense we have earned the trip there. But you have to know it's the judge who passes sentence. Jesus said in Matthew 10, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, the word him here in this verse is designated in the Greek as a definite article. Some versions of the Bible will capitalize the H in him, or it'll say one and a capital O. There is only one who can do that. He cannot ignore what has been placed before him. He must pass sentence. James 4 says there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. Judge is not an honorary title to God the Father. It is what he does. So now that we know the judge, we must make way for the prosecution. As in all legal cases, the prosecution goes first. It is their job to prove that we have committed the charged crimes beyond a reasonable doubt. Here now is the evidence. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. The prosecution would want the judge to know that we have disobeyed God. We disobeyed God. I don't know if your mom was like mine, but two things made my mom completely blow a gasket. One was lying, the other was disobedience. Of course, to my mom, I never just disobeyed. She always added a word in there. She couldn't help herself. So anytime we disobeyed her, she also had to add the word deliberately. Matthew, why did you deliberately disobey me? You deliberately disobeyed me. I can't believe, after all that I've told you exactly what to do, you went out and deliberately disobeyed me. I want you to know, we deliberately disobeyed the Lord. He has instructed us to do certain things, and we have not done them. Maybe through his word, he asked us to maybe leave some things behind or take up other healthier spiritual things. And we said, nah, no thanks, I like this. We chose sin over him. We tried to find life and joy in other places, even though we knew they were wrong, even though we knew it would not only break God's law, but break God's heart. We did it anyway. We have broken God's law and thus been guilty of lawlessness. 
First John 3, 4 says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. The prosecution would then take it a step further. Not just that we disobeyed God, but we obeyed the devil. I know we probably don't like it being worded that way. That strikes us to be offensive unless you read the Bible. Because that's what Paul says in verse 2. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. We have been slaves to unrighteousness. And you know, being a slave does not allow for personal choice. Slaves follow orders, or they get hurt, or they get killed. And when sin, when the, when the enemy of our soul yelled, jump, we responded, how high? There wasn't even a fight. It was like a reflex action. We ignored the commands of Scripture. We made agreements with the one who seeks to destroy our soul forever. This is why God abhors sin so much. You see, we're his kids. And it angers him to see what sin does to his children. Parents, can I put it this way? Imagine if you found out that as your child walked to school every day, there was some guy on a corner who was trying to get them to try heroin. And when you found out about it, what you would want to do to that guy on the corner. Or some creep makes a contact to your, to your child online and starts grooming them and trying to pull them away from you and to take them for themselves to do heaven knows what. Think about, parent, what that would do to you to see that happening to your child or almost happening and what kinds of emotions would come into you. I think these plus 10 times more is what flies into the Lord when he sees us obeying the devil. I think he's just kind of being a heavenly parent. The prosecution then says that we were dead. It's what Paul tells the Ephesians. It's what he tells us. All of us have completely failed and messed up our spiritual lives beyond repair. Can I tell you, this is why the gospel is offensive. It's offensive to the world. Step one of the gospel, you have made an unholy wreck of your life. How do you like that? People don't like hearing that. People like hearing they can fix it themselves. People like hearing if they go to that seminar and read that book and listen to that person online that can be better. I can fix myself. No, you can't. You're a train wreck. That's what the gospel says. I know, in our you are special culture, we don't like hearing that. But those that are whole don't need a physician. Only those that are sick. And until we admit we're sick with sin, we're in trouble. We know from Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. In other words, death is the payment, wages. 
for our life of sin, for our choice to disobey God, for our choice to obey the devil. That's the penalty. That's the paycheck of sin. And you and I are born into this. We're born into sin. We have the taint and smell of it on us. And then we add to it with actions and choices of our own. We have no one to blame but ourselves. I can't blame my parents, my family, my teachers, my coach, my church, my pastors, a politician, Hollywood, or even the world. It's my fault. I have earned wages, the death penalty for my sin. I don't get bonus points for being in church my whole life. It's a penalty I cannot avoid. It's a penalty I cannot fix. And the prosecution would remind the judge that we deserve God's wrath. In our sin, we were enemies with God. I know we don't like to think it that way. This is something we need to realize, especially those of us who've kind of grown up in this church thing. Sin has damaged our relationship with God. Isaiah 59 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. By choosing sides against God, we have subjected ourselves to his wrath. I know we don't like to talk about such things in this day and age, but the wrath of God is a very real thing. It is the appropriate punishment for sin. It is referred to many times in Scripture and often carries with it the metaphor of a cup. This is not an uncontrolled, indiscriminate rage that God expresses. It is a measured but appropriate response to what is destroying humanity. Here's a few scriptures about that. Psalm 75. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. In Jeremiah 25, the prophet says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Paul tells the Christians in Rome, in chapter 1 of Romans, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Look at this scripture. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Don't try the I never knew card. Because all it takes is a stroll around creation to realize there's something bigger and someone greater than us who put it there. That's what Paul's saying. God has made himself plainly known to all people. And the ultimate expression of God's wrath is hell. 
this is where sin belongs and if we're in sin you see for some reason we kind of gloss over this these days it's not upbeat it's not positive we think it's going to turn off people so we don't talk about this but paul cannot be more clear by our very nature we were subject to god's anger or wrath just like everyone else just like the child molester just like the human trafficker just like the serial killer just like the terrorist no way man i'm better than that no you are not my friend we have stirred up as much wrath as they because god is not comparing us to them he is comparing us to his perfect law because we can always find someone worse than us can't we but that's not the standard the prosecution has presented a compelling case which brings us to the defense and after what I've just heard and seen from the Word of God we have no defense much like you may see in criminal proceedings sometimes the defendant has no eyewitnesses no alibi no character witnesses that can testify on his or her behalf so all we can do is stand mute before the judge we we couldn't even find an attorney to represent us that's how hopeless our case is a lawyer would not waste their valuable time representing a client who is dead man walking. What sort of explanation can we offer the creator of the universe? That we came from a dysfunctional family? That we didn't have the economic advantages of others? God isn't social media, He's not Twitter. He's not part of the societal enablers that we have today. Those ridiculous excuses don't even begin to explain the long record of awful, selfish, lustful, prideful, and greedy behavior that we have displayed over the course of our entire life. We know it. He knows it. We know he knows it. The only thing we can do is to say, your honor the defense rests we have nothing legitimate to offer now the judge must act accordingly he must send us to the ultimate in his wrath to hell due to our determination to live apart from him in our own sin and filth this is the moment we have long dreaded. The inevitable pronouncement of the death sentence. A life in eternal separation from God in hell. And that is really what hell is, folks. Forget the fire, forget the burning and all that. It's separation from God is what makes hell, hell. And with our head down looking at the floor, avoiding all eye contact with the Almighty One, listening for the sound of the gavel to strike, 
the final blow upon our life. The doors to the courtroom are dramatically thrust open. We can almost feel and sense the presence of another who has entered the room and now walking toward us. Is this my executioner? The one who would administer the death blow? Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of mighty waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not! I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This holy and righteous one now turns his brilliant but adoring face to the judge and says, Jesus Christ for the defense. My friend, we don't have a defense. We have an advocate. I had nothing to offer but my own quote-unquote righteousness, which was as filthy rags. But Jesus, out of his great love for us, stepped in and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. 1 John 2 tells us, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Our advocate took up our cause because he loves he perfectly fulfilled the law that none of us could keep. Now there's a $5 word in that verse I just read that every Christian needs to know. The word is propitiation. And it deals with God's wrath. Now some believe that word propitiation actually kind of means appeasement or deflection or satisfaction, and, and those are all appropriate. But author Jerry Bridges says there's a, he thinks there's a better word to use. The word is exhausted. Here's what he means by that. In other words, Jesus exhausted the wrath of God. When he willfully laid his life down, because no one takes his life, on the cross... He endured the true pain of the cross. I'm not trying to minimize what he went through physically. But folks, the true pain of the cross was not the crown of thorns. It wasn't the lashes upon his back or the nails in his hands and feet. The brutality of the cross is found in Jesus taking the cup of God's wrath 
meant for us and drinking every last drop of it upon himself. He took on every theft, every murder, every lie, every affair, every lustful thought, and so on upon himself. And he exhausted the wrath of God himself. Can you even imagine what that must have been like for hours that he spent on the cross and still not sinning in the process? And not only does this swing the entire case to the defense, it is the greatest act of love ever offered by any person in the history of the world. 1 John 4, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, watch this, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. All the wrath that God had over the sin of mankind was thrust upon his son so that you and I don't have to face any of it. And now we know that God has not appointed his children to wrath. And if that ain't good news, your good news meter is broken. <laughs> Which leads us finally to the verdict. When the judge rules, I know that he will not say guilty. Because of the actions of Christ, we are no longer guilty. Someone in the room needs to hear that. Because of the actions of Jesus, you are no longer guilty. 1 Corinthians 1, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's not the verdict. I want to take it a step further. He will also not say, not guilty. Now, in our American judicial system, those are the only two options. And it's the phrase that every defendant longs to hear. But we can all think of court cases that we have seen over the years in which the defendant was clearly seen as guilty, but somehow was found not guilty, either because the state could not prove its case or due to a technicality. And such people are always viewed with suspicion seen as lucky for having avoided punishment for their crimes. Now, the Lord can do better than not guilty. The verdict is innocent. And maybe the appropriate biblical word is justified. Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When is the last time you felt innocent? You're like, sorry, dude, that train left the station a long time ago. We've seen too much, we've done too much, we've experienced too much. We believe ourselves to be damaged goods. We'd left the innocent station many years ago. Or we feel we're no longer innocent because of what someone has done to us. But my friend, the work of Jesus is that powerful. Because it doesn't matter how you feel. Isn't that good news? Your feelings don't carry the day. When you believe in the work of Jesus for your life, that you couldn't fix yourself or do enough good to undo what you've done, and you pledge your life to Jesus, you have been justified. Specifically, the word means to declare, pronounce, one to be just, righteous, or such as he ought to be. This is what the Lord and God the Father see when they look upon those of us who believe. Sometimes we can't take our eyes off the sin we did 20 years ago. Even though it's been long under the blood, to use a Pentecostal term. I want you to be reminded of the vision of heaven. Because it is the righteousness of Jesus that covers you. So that when God the Father looks upon you, all he can see is the Son. And the work that the Son has done in your life. Do we have sins still to confess? Of course we do. But I want you to know how the Lord looks upon you when you approach him. You're not damaged goods to him. You have been com made completely new in the blood of Christ. Sometimes in church we use that word justified this way, just as if I never sinned. And that really is a great definition. Because when he looks upon you, it is just as if you have never sinned. Why? Because Jesus never did, and he is the one who covers. So all he can see is his son encircling and covering. He is the robe of righteousness that you wear. And that's all he can see. That's innocence, my friend. Can we believe in the work of Christ that way? There are people who have been set free by the legal system who still don't live free lives. Is that us, spiritually? All I can tell you is, God ain't mad at you. Because the wrath was exhausted on Jesus Christ. He ain't mad at you. Jesus exhausted his wrath on the cross. You can enter into that justification today. You must believe it by faith. And it shall be so. And you shall be proclaimed innocent by the blood of Christ.
Well, I pray the message has uh, reminded you today of your innocence before God because of the work of Christ. And if you don't know him, if you don't know Christ, would you just reach out to him right now? Would you ask him to forgive your sins and take over your life? Just tell him you believe what you have heard and you want to just live this thing out. And then you can know this incredible gift of love yourself. Well, we appreciate you being a part of the Madcast. Be sure to share this with a friend. We would love to expand our Madcast family. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information about our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.